This week on Book Club, we're talking about Beyond Religion, Ethics for a Whole World by the Dalai Lama. And our synopsis is, ten years ago, in the best-selling Ethics for a New Millennium, His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, first proposed an approach to the ethics based on universal rather than religious principles. With Beyond Religion, he returns to this conversation at his most outspoken, elaborating and deepening his vision for the non-religious way. A path to lead an ethical, happy, and spiritual life. Transcending the religion wars, he outlines a system of ethics for our shared world, one that makes a stirring appeal for deep appreciation of our common humanity, offering us all a roadmap for improving human life on individual, community, and global levels. Book Bash! Welcome to our book club podcast, where we pick a book to read each month that we then review. The best part is, you can join our book club! Just read the book with us and give your own feedback on the book and our reviews in the comments below. Be warned, if you haven't read the book and you want to listen to the show anyway, there will be spoilers. We choose the book for the next episode at the end of this one. I hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Book Bash. I hope you've all had a good month. I am your host Josh, and I am joined today, as usual, by Garner and Alex. And uh, as the introduction said, today we, or this month, we read the book uh, Beyond Religion by the Dalai Lama. His Holiness. Oh yes, the Dalai Lama. Yo. So I'm sorry. Yeah, he's no peasant like <laughs> us. The Dalai Lama, you know he. He's, he's got shit on lockdown, except for Tibet. That Ooh. somebody, yeah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get this ball rolling. Yeah. So let's hear it. Let's see here. This is Alex's book, right? Yeah, that's right. Alex chose the book at the end of the last episode. All right, so I'm really curious um, if we didn't address it last time. Why did you select this book? Because um, I've always been interested in the Dalai Lama. He really is a great spiritual leader, and he goes beyond religion in many things for many years. He's stepped outside trying to bring a new thinking to the world, not just on religious points, but just as a global community. He's got a lot of books, though. Why this one? Because this is the one that I hadn't read yet. Okay. You're like, I got the other ones. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Fair enough. And, um, yeah, so then, what'd you like about the book? Um, I did like that he brings a personal approach to it. We have to start with ourselves. He does go into meditation a little bit, and while there's a lot of science to back it up, I think that's a little out there for some readers, but, um... I do like that he brings that personal approach that we have to start with ourselves. We have to not be angry at our bosses and coworkers, and we have to extend that feeling towards the rest of the world. We have to understand that we're all just people who want to be happy. It's actually really interesting. He he does this really great thing. Like it's all, you know, even though it's a six-hour book. So by the way, if you didn't read it, like you can nail it out in a single sitting here, people. Yeah. Do it. Um. One of the things he does is he starts a book talking about, um, you know, his idea about how it's going to be this secular approach and all that. But shortly after that, he talks about corruption. 
and how you know any society where uh, anything where there's like some sort of help uh, relief money or whatever he's talking about like a tribal society in India that's not getting any of the tribal help so now they're becoming insurgents and the corruption in the system is the reason why and he's essentially just saying like right down at the individual level is where things are getting screwed up like it doesn't matter how good your system is if the people in the system are are still screwing it up. Yeah, if they're not self-regulating, then the system can't help it. Yeah. It's, it's actually kind of interesting, because he sort of... He, he never quite says it, but he, he has a recursive idea here. Where, you know, like in a, recur, in a recursive system, right? You know, like, bottles beget bottles. Boxes are packed in boxes. Da-da-da-da-da, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so, instead of saying, like, we need a system to regulate a system, which is... Almost what the book's about. Um, you know, it's just, in the end, it's like, we need people to regulate people. And I was like, isn't that what we're already doing? He's like, but not with laws. That's, that's, <laughs> not, not with laws. And I was like, okay. So that's what you liked about it. How about you, Josh? Um, I'd say that one of the parts I really did like about the book was his focus on compassion. I personally feel that compassion is really kind of lacking in Western culture right now. I mean, you spend any time online trying to communicate with an online community. You know, just just read, just choose any random YouTube video and read 20 of the comments. Oh, wow, dude. And you will see that compassion is divorced <laughs> from the internet communities. Actually, you know, um, I don't, you know, maybe this is a tangent. I don't know. It's it's along the same lines. I was watching <laughs> this Hearthstone streamer. Okay. His name's Kriparian, and he's got like all these famous memes about him, like never lucky, and that guy's got an insane deck and things like that. And um, for some reason, I turned him on last night. I was just kind of bored, and I'm watching his stream just to see what he's up to. And um, for whatever reason, he is just getting absolutely destroyed. But the the Twitch stream chat is just... It's practically mum. It's just memes all the way up till he's getting <laughs> wrecked, and then this the chat just fills with never lucky and lol, and be like, oh, get good, crip. And I was like, why are all these people like? Don't they like crip? Crip seems like a pretty chill dude, and and Crip's getting kind of. You can see he's having a bad time. Yeah. Right? Like, there's actually heaps happening to him. Like, at first, he's, like, trying to roll with it. He's laughing it off. He's like, that was kind of crazy. I watched this guy for, like, 40 minutes, and he is, really is just having really bad luck. This is a bad day. He's having a bad day. And you can see he's just getting, and his community is just puking all over him. The, the community that keeps him alive. It's just <laughs> melting him. Every time anything happens, they're like, oh yeah, crap, you're so arrogant. Da 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 da. You played right into that. No, oh, that's rough. Anyways, I, I guess like the reason why I bring this up in relation to the book and what you said is just like <laughs> these people supposedly like him. There is no mercy, there yeah. is no compassion. So I can kind of see what you're saying. However, my counterpoint to that yeah. is that you know, Western societies, particularly the United States, actually do a lot of money in charity spending, like like more than any place in the world. Oh, certainly. 
So, but I mean, to kind of throw back to what Alex and you were just talking about, though, we were, he's talking about on a personal, individual scale, and while people might be charitable with their finances, on like a person-to-person basis, there's kind of a lack. Mm. Yeah, we'll give finances to somebody halfway across the country or yeah. somebody in other countries, but we're not going to help the homeless guy outside our door. Yeah. There's a lot of disregard for human life, except in what our mind says is good. Or And usually our charity is like trying to fill like a deficit of grief with funds. You know, like all these people are suffering from cancer. Well, we'll just throw money at them. We'll get them. The, we'll like know. we'll put some money on it. It's oh, this fine. country suffered a terrible tsunami. Here's a lot of cash. Yeah, you know? <laughs> maybe we'll send some volunteers. But um, for the most part, you know, the guy falls on his face on the street, and you kind of walk the other way. Yeah, just let him go. <laughs> or I guess you watch the guy stream and puke on him. Right. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Read a book and tear it to bits, and then say you like it. Yeah. Yeah. Read a book. Tear it to bits. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Alex. I think only insensitive people do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so what you liked about the book, I felt like I kind of went on a rant there. Oh, so, so basically, I, I really liked the compassion angle from his book. And I also really liked that it was a fairly diplomatic approach to to try to reach out to people of all walks of life. Um it was very sort of globally focused, you know? Um, so, like, he would address, like, other cultures in different countries and other religious practices and how... And try to bring them together and be like, we could do this. You know, this isn't so strange. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> I kind of just got right into the like, this, like, portion of this. But one of the things that I feel like um, what's kind of missing here is, like, so... Just like a quick synopsis of this book here, right? Or like we, we got like the the book entry, but um, just like his general theme, right? When we talked about um, thinking fast and slow, we yeah. talked about like all these you know heuristic methods, and there's chapters on you know system one and system two. I, I'm just gonna bring up real briefly that the the Dalai Lama wrote this book, and he is essentially saying, hey, we need eth- a system of ethics. That you know, that transcends religion that everybody could use, and he actually makes an argument right at the beginning of the book that um, all humans are uh, need compassion, and so he makes this argument about you know, like how even the most vile criminal had someone erase him mm. or her, right? Some somebody had to be compassionate towards the the vile criminal at some point, otherwise the vile criminal wouldn't exist. Yeah. So, uh, so he makes this argument that we have this in us, and we do it all the time, actually, but we don't train it, we don't focus on it, and so he is outlining the system of ethics, essentially saying, if you acted in this way, if you actually considered other people, then. Um, all, all these systems we have in place would actually work. You know, the things like, you know, our, our various legal systems, our laws and whatnot, our charity systems, they wouldn't just, like, fall down to corruption or insurgency or whatever. They would actually work. So that's that's roughly what his message is about for you, the listener. 
I also kind of liked his uh, part when you bring up the criminal. I liked his part about um, uh, judgment and, um, I guess, sort of discipline or punishment. Mm. I liked how you know how he kind of spells out his um, nonviolent approach and makes the distinction between being nonviolent and being meek and getting walked on and all that. Yeah, he actually says. More or less, if you let people just walk on you, that's actually make the problem worse. Yeah. And he had some odd anecdote about a guy letting a man punch him and not saying anything about it. And being like, I was, you know, very peaceful and passive then. And and the Dalai Lama was like, no, you're kind of just exacerbating the problem. (laughs) You're letting him hit you. Yeah. What about you, Alex? Did you find any... uh moments of the book that kind of like particularly stuck out to you? Not in particular. I generally just like the whole thing. It was very flowing. He goes into his reasons why we need this and then he starts to describe how to achieve it and I think it was laid out very well. No particular point stood out. I actually um, other than so I listened to it on Audible again. Thanks Audible. (laughs) <laughs> for sponsor, uh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> anyways, so I listened to Audible. It was real short, and um, I actually was playing a game of Civilization Five while I did it. Oh, no. So, which which was pretty interesting <laughs> because then the Dalai Lama was all like, "Violence doesn't solve anything," and I'm like, yeah, "I've played Civ with you." <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, but Dalai Lama, they got they got salt, and my people need salt. <laughs> I have cannons. Well, anyways, um, one of the things that really kind of stuck out to me um, about the audible portion of it is if you listen to it, Martin Sheen is the narrator. (laughs) Yeah. And um, I didn't realize he had this thing, but he does not pronounce any H's. (laughs) Ever. (laughs) We're all humans who need humility. All right? (laughs) We need to be humble. What's funny is because I also listened to it on the app, and I didn't notice that until you pointed it out to me. <laughs> it, it, after a while, was you know I've heard of people who like really um, either stress H or try to de-emphasize H, but never quite so strong as Martin Sheen does it. So that's just one of the things I noticed about the book. If you you might even find it uh, humorous, actually, just kind of going into it, one of our previous book bashes, he actually sounded. A lot like a character from Elantris. Like the old dude who marries uh, the chick. Gosh, I can't quite uh, remember it. I don't uh, know what you're talking about. But he actually sounds like just like that. He actually, there were times, especially when the Dalai Lama was like going into like all these strange names of various oh, philosophies and whatnot. I know what character you, you the, the, um, the old man who was like a heartthrob yes. figure. Mm-hmm. The fencer. Yeah, the fencer dude. He actually sounds like that character from the Audible okay. of the Lantris. Funny. And, and what made it even better was that there's all these strange philosophies and foreign, exotic-sounding names of places. Yeah, that guy had a lot of anecdotes too. Yeah. And it, it was just interesting how, like, some of the names, the Indian-sounding names from the Dalai Lama's book, actually just lined it up with names of fictional places in Brandon Sanderson's book. And I was like, <laughs> I can't tell the difference. What's going on here? <laughs> um, 
But yeah, what really stuck out to me, and this is kind of like a personal aside here, is I once went to a church on Valentine's Day and listened to a pastor give his thing. Huh. Yeah, I did this once, and uh, it was actually really kind of moving. He, the, the, the summary of his message was, um, he actually told it in a joke, kind of a joke. The pastor comes up and he says, okay, um, so... What are the the three most important words for your marriage, relationship, loved ones? Um, something that you might say to them every single day. So then he asks a crowd, and, and sure enough, somebody in the crowd says, Oh, you need to say, I love you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's like, that sounds pretty good. That sounds all right. But he actually just, he, he breaks it down. It's like, you know, he's a pastor. He's a Christian pastor. Yeah. And he says, he's just like, look, you know, um, Christ's message is, I forgive you. Yeah. Right? And he said, you know what's going to keep your marriage together is I forgive you more than I love you. That's, that's what's going to keep things going. That, you know, they can do something nasty to you and that you have the temperance and the strength to say, I forgive you. What I really liked in... Um, Dalai Lama's book, she actually goes on to this segment about punishment and how, you know, what is the law good for and things like that. And um, he talks about how important it is that forgiveness is in our lives. And when he started going into that, I kind of remembered this pastor that I went to on Valentine's Day of all things and how <laughs> I, you know, it just kind of moved me again about how the, the message of forgiveness and, and how much I can, like, just completely transform you to do the right thing. Oh, absolutely. And part of his point is that's not just in the Christian religion. That's in almost every religion that you look at in the world is forgiveness and compassion. And that's part of how he builds his transcendence of religion is that even though each individual religion has this, that's just a human trait, whether you're secular and don't believe in religion or whether you do believe in religion, whichever one you believe in, he's building all these different traits like forgiveness and compassion and treating others with respect that builds on this how we should run the world. And my father um, has started recently running a spiritual study group on Sundays. And uh, it's like a non-denominational thing. So any anybody is welcome from any walk of life. And um, one of the things he often preaches is this idea, I forget where it comes from, and I'm probably gonna butcher the name, but it's like Ho'oponopono or something like that. And it's basically this uh, sort of almost mantra practice of forgiveness where you like think of somebody and you do this sort of prayer to yourself where it's like, I love you, I forgive you, I'm sorry. It's interesting, but it's like a really good way to sort of absolve yourself of any wrongdoings to them, any wrongdoings they might have done to you, and to just sort of fill yourself with these positive um, feelings about them. And and there's lots of psychological studies about how um, significant that can be for human health. Yeah, the Dalai Lama in the book actually goes into, like, near the end, just this whole segment about meditating and 
how it can help you or you know just techniques it's actually really interesting for him to just get like right down to the the, the nuts and bolts is like this is how you should do it even to like he even answers questions about whether or not your eyes should be closed <laughs> all the way and how tightly and um he had this really interesting message about practice Anyways, there's this whole section on meditation, and uh, one of the things that just really stuck out to me while I'm, like, you know, launching artillery shells on this holy city in uh, Civ Five, <laughs> is, <he's, laughs> is he says to, uh, I, I'm, I'm doing this thing, I'm, like, bombing the crap out of this city, and he says, like, hey, you know, when you're doing your meditation, you should bow you know, imagine your worst enemy and imagine yourself bowing down to them. <laughs> I was like, huh. <laughs> right? But it was actually really interesting. Like, it like completely stopped me from my um, senseless shelling. I actually had to stop for a moment and be like, so, you know, let's say you actually were doing this all the time. Like, I can't even really imagine my worst enemy other than, I don't know, you know, Parasites from Africa, <laughs> and I can't imagine worshiping those. So the Dalai Lama's got something on me. What, what did any of the meditation stuff stick out to you, folks? It did to me because I read a lot on meditation, and I think the word meditation comes with a lot of baggage. But he really tries to dispel a lot of that. A lot of it is just trying to be mindful, pay attention to what you're feeling, pay attention to, am I feeling angry at somebody? Not just acting on it without thinking about it. Um, but that's what really stuck out to me. Uh, it stuck out for me, but in a slightly more odd way, perhaps. Um, Odder than the shelling of the people <laughs> maybe for not, their salt? Maybe not quite that odd. Oh, okay. But more more as a slight criticism of the book. I mean, as Garner mentioned earlier, the book is like less than six hours long on Audible. And the meditation segment was 30 minutes. Really? Yeah. I, I timed it because... I was kind of surprised when he started getting into it. Um, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of scientific studies about the health of meditation and a lot of um, religious and cultural um, establishments use a form of meditation. But as a book that was like coming out of the gates trying to be like, hey, here's a non-religious approach to ethics and being, you know... Uh, a Buddhist monk to then spend 30 minutes towards the late half of the book talking about meditation. It's kind of like, hey, you know. Yeah, I noticed that as well. But again, he tries to really put a secular edge on it. Yeah. It's... And... Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, I was just going to say, I... he definitely does put a secular edge on it and is certainly diplomatic. And it's understandable that being the Dalai Lama Buddhist monk, that Buddhism comes up you know, it's going to come up. But I did think it was kind of funny just how often it came up and then kind of caps that with a 30-minute spiel on the benefits of meditation and how to meditate the Buddhist way. But again, meditation comes with such baggage. A lot of people nowadays right. are just calling it mindfulness, and it is done in almost every clinic in the world for mental health, and even doctors are sending people to mental health providers so that they can learn meditation or mindfulness to reduce heart attacks, to improve sleep. It yeah. has such oh. wide-ranging effects. Thank you. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I was actually talking to my mom about that little criticism the other day, and she brought up the mindfulness, and that was the first I had heard of this rebranded term, and I was kind of like, ugh, why, why do we gotta do that? Why can't we just say meditation is good, shut up? We're like, no, it's, it's really good. I mean, well, if you don't like meditation, let's call it something else so that you can get tricked into meditation. Like, no, don't trick me into it. Just well, fucking sell me on meditation. A lot of that <laughs> is that people aren't very mindful in the first place. They hear meditation right. and they don't think about it. They don't stop to figure out what their feelings are on it. They just, oh, that's this category and I don't like it. So yeah. we kind of have to rebrand it to get them to start being aware of things like that. Yeah, I'm not 100% against that sort of rebranding, but there's a part of me that just sort of like shakes a fist at it. Yes. You know? <laughs> It's marketing. very silly, yeah. it's, but if that's what it takes to get people to do it, then... Right. Although they could do the psychotherapy approach to it. I went to counselors <laughs> for years for anger. Or more, I guess, in the end, they're just like, Adam, you're sad. You just, you respond to sad by being mad. It's like, <laughs> oh. Like, get sad, bro. And I really didn't want to... <laughs> so, I, so I, I spent lots of money and years for them to be like, are you sad yet? <laughs> um, but uh, just speaking about like mindfulness is they just, um, the Dalai Lama actually kind of talks about this a little bit in his book. You'll spend some time, the more you start to think about other people's situations and their problems and you're thinking about other people around you and uh, what's going on with them you know why is he mad you know how is he reacting why am I reacting this way um, he even kind of just goes on to like how you can just get triggered immediately a certain word will come up or somebody will ask you a pointed question maybe maybe you're unemployed and somebody says to you hey you know, have you looked for work? And then you get really angry, right? Because, you know, maybe you had this morning, but it comes off accusatory. And he's yeah. sort of saying, he's saying, like, look, you know, what's going on inside you? Why, you know, why so angry, bro? <laughs> um, but actually, but he talks about how you'll have this, this change. But from my own experience through psychotherapy is that like eventually you do this long enough you have like the alien voice that's like comes up it's like so what you're thinking about they're like i i guess i'm now thinking about what i'm thinking about and it's like good <laughs> just checking <laughs> i think a dalai lama should like put the preface in there they were like we if you like like if you like metacognition you know get ready that could happen to you, you meditate enough oh yeah yeah. I mean, it to me it's kind of funny because, I mean, just to go on a little side tangent, sometimes meditation um, to me is just like an acceptable way of self-brainwashing. Yes. I mean, a lot of people, you know, here's another term that has generally negative stigma is brainwashing, but it turns out you do it to yourself all the time. <laughs> well, I mean, I actually think that we actually prefer stubbornness like stubbornness you know is seen as negative you yeah. could be like oh he's really stubborn but a lot of people also take that as a like as a positive trait like the guy doesn't give up easy right or, or whatever and uh there's a feeling that if you're fickle and you easily change your mind and you don't stand for anything then uh i don't know 
it is it is wishy-washy. Like I could just throw all kinds of turns out there, but the idea is that at least here, over here in the Puget Sound, and I think all over in America, there's this idea that uh, if you change your mind, especially frequently, kind of a loser. And Dalai Lama's like, maybe you should think about changing your mind. And that's why there's all this, like, even meditation or brainwashing or any of these ideas where, I don't know, you actually consider things and then you change your opinion about, like, how you feel about a thing or some other thing. Or even just people trying to change your opinion. Think about missionaries, advertisers, you know, um, uh, you know, political statements. Don't talk about my politics at work. There's this idea that changing your mind is bad. Oh yeah, and I think yeah. the Dalai Lama is trying to address that. No, and 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 I definitely can appreciate that because I'm, I've been practicing for a long time this ideas of like uh, being willing to have an opinion changed. You know, being open to hearing the sort of opposition side of things, and to sort of you know check my own opinions on stuff. And sort of counter-check them. Be like, am I right on these points? Is there evidence against me? What is that evidence? (laughs) I kind of call that method the dialectic method. Where like one person makes an argument, another person makes an argument. And eventually the two sides can find a thing. It's actually really interesting to me. Maybe the guy only had six hours. I mean, he didn't write like you know 20 extra hours of experiments and rattle off the numbers to you or anything like that but uh, (laughs) he didn't do that but i feel like uh he and i just lost my train of thought (laughs) okay i think all those are very valid points but a lot of meditation isn't about being willing to change your mind it's just about being willing to be aware realize that you're going to be against changing your mind and that's okay that's part of who you are that doesn't mean you should try and change your mind or try not to change your mind or be more stubborn or whatever it's just being aware of what you're doing and how you're reacting and maybe in being aware you'll decide you don't want to be that way but meditation itself is just about being aware it's about seeing what's going on either way it's kind of like my understanding about most meditative practices is sort of about just sort of you know bringing yourself down to a baseline sort of calm and then taking a step outside and sort of checking your your mental health objectively you know or maybe unobjectively i can't, I can't. objectively like yeah. when you're looking at something from the outside you're doing it objectively okay yeah so that's what i mean yeah so you're kind of taking a step back and being like let's let's see how i'm doing here you know well how are my thoughts on on my thoughts (laughs) yeah but it's definitely most meditation stays away from oh this is good this is bad this is positive this is negative it just is right and and that's that's usually the first part of of an objective um observation is just a gathering of information like how are things what are the states of it right now Mm -hmm. you know are you feeling bad isn't an opinion you know, or per se, I mean, it's like, if you're not feeling well or happy, you can observe that without imposing whether or not feeling bad or unhappy is bad. It's I, very meta. Well, I mean, it's meant to be meta, you know, right. they're like trying to get you to think it's about your name, thoughts. It's in the name, meditation. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, well, um, not quite. 
No, not quite. But for for you guys who like to spell phonetically only, it would be meditation. There you go, Josh. Not oh. meta. Ruining my pun. Yeah, but your pun your pun is excellent. I love it. But I just wanted to make sure that later when you try to spell it, buddy. So I've kind of gone gotten us off on meditation quite a bit. Um, but to sort of bring it back a little bit, let's do some uh, more criticisms. Did you have any criticisms on this book, Alex? I didn't, other than, uh, again, I think meditation gets a bad rap, and it was very interesting that he added it to the end, mm-hmm. but that was really the only thing that stuck out, and I wouldn't even criticize it. I think it's a good starting place for individual checking in and seeing, am I being greedy, am I being this, am I being that, and trying to fix yourself from the ground up to okay. fix society. So, no um, criticisms, sorry. No, that's fine. That's fair. Um, how about you, Garner? Oh, boy. Yeah? Well, I, mean, I can always slam over just various things. I feel like um, I got to do it. So he, he talks about my homeboy. Oh. Capitalism. Yeah. He slam dunk my homeboy. Greed, I would say, is definitely sort of... If there's a villain in this book, it's greed. Yeah, he does not like <laughs> greed. And... Um, and he also seems to have a problem with um, wealth disparities. Yes. Right. However, he sort of addresses... It's it's actually very interesting. He does address that if you didn't have envy, right? Like, mm-hmm. if, like let's say you didn't... If you weren't so envious, then maybe wealth disparity wouldn't be such a big deal. Yeah. But um, it, it's actually almost a touch cynical at times. Like, he just sort of knows... <laughs> That that's not going to fix the issue. It'd just be better if there was not so much disparity. Um, so, but uh, I am going to criticize him on capitalism. He pretty much uh, attacks it pretty heavily. And for a guy who actually spends a good portion of his book actually being like, oh yeah, I'm actually, you know, I'm not trying to attack religions or whatever and always trying to take this unbiased approach. He just pretty much just immediately says that capitalism is bad and is not founded on any ethical approach and therefore a system not based in ethics simply just doesn't work. I'm just like, come on, dude. Like, if you, if you knew, like, the, the, the tiniest thing about capitalism, you would understand that it actually is based on the ethic of personal freedom. It's actually why we have it. There, there was a system before capitalism called mercantilism. And you know what? It actually makes capitalism look kind of nice. You know, like, <laughs> this guy's going on about, like, Gandhi and whatnot. Like, Gandhi's achievement, right, the freeing India, is the result of India being enslaved by rampant mercantilism, where Britain had a company, yeah. the East, you know, East India Trade Company, that ran a country. Like, literally ran it. And then sold opium to China and started the opium wars I'm like the, the simple fact is is that like this idea that that personal freedom and um, and actually the, the ethic of of capitalism where the idea is that like actually if you would just look at you, look after yourself a little bit and have like a little bit of self-reliance and try to improve your own situation that's actually good for everyone right that improves everyone's situation or you could, I don't know, just let other people try to solve your problems and see what happens. You know, you could just have the opium war again. You could have India totally enslaved. And this idea that he just 
he just immediately attacks um, the system and says that it has no basis in ethics. I'm just like, like, dude, <laughs> I could not believe it. Like, because he seemed actually really well educated. That seems interesting to me because my recollection, um, and admittedly, might have been a bit fogged. You know, maybe I was distracted at work at that point of the book and wasn't paying as close attention, but. It seemed to me that um, he did start off when he started talking about capitalism that um, he kind of gave like the basic model description of what capitalism should and could be and then very quickly moves off into the corrupted side of it, of what it kind of has become and perpetuated. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I will admit that, yeah, every time he, most of the time he's bringing it up, it's like almost always framed around the corruption and greed. But um, I do feel like he did address that there is, you know, the basic model of capitalism, and then he's just like, but it's not working. Well, I, In practice, it's not working. I feel like his point, you know, and even though I'm criticizing this guy, you know, his point at the beginning of the book and throughout the book is that it doesn't matter how good your system is, at the you still have to start at some point. Right. And... Um, but I feel like even he doesn't realize just how recursive that is. Like, even his concept of, you know, you need to have metacognition and not be so judgmental and so on and so on. Um, even his still, you know, who watches the Watchman system could be corrupted. Like, all of these things are made with um, good intentions originally. Communism had great intentions. By the way, insanely corrupt, right? <laughs> insanely. And, uh, and most systems like this start with good intentions and just get completely... Just go out of control. Yeah. And even the Dalai Lama's approach could have that thing. I actually think he's right, though. That you know, you got to start somewhere. You got to start at the individual level. Yeah, sure. You know, um, one of the things that I argue with, you know, just because like I studied economics and whatnot, a lot of people get really into this macroeconomics about like, oh, uh, you know, we need to make this small policy to the tax system, which will make all these rich people do this, which will do that. Like, you know, microeconomics just makes more sense to be like, hey, you know, if you go do this thing, I'll give you five bucks. Wow, right? Like, it just has like a a direct attack on just that one person and uh, I actually feel like the Dalai Lama's approach is actually pretty good I, I just feel like when he talks about um, you know he, he wants to attack people on the on how corrupt and whatnot they are I just feel like he his own argument used against him like dismantles <laughs> his own argument about capitalism hmm. it drives me nuts I don't know. I think you're really just triggered by things on capitalism that don't fit your view. Because I think a lot of it is he's not bashing capitalism, but he's saying instead of going and buying that new phone, maybe we should go help somebody else. You know, maybe we should see outside our own little box and spend our resources and money on other things, not just capitalism. But he doesn't, he even admits, you know, back when he first saw a shopping mall and all those pretty windows and things inside him, he really wanted that kind of yeah. stuff. But he stopped and said, do I need it? Is that something that I actually need in my life or is it just really cool? Well, I will fully admit, because you're calling me out on like, I get triggered <laughs> by the capitalist. I am absolutely triggered by capitalism hate. I feel like there are like he just creates this NPR soundbite, mic drops, <laughs> capitalism, you know, but like, oh, gre- 
reads bad, go well, Marxism. We did establish in the last episode that you're the econ at the table. I am the econ, <laughs> yeah. And I feel like, um, and so I do just immediately get triggered, um, especially just by a system that has helped so many people, actually. And then um, you get all these ivory tower folks who are just like, no, nope, it's bad, you know. Mm. And and I just like you guys just are jerks. Right? <laughs> like you don't even think about these <laughs> these systems that have improved people's lives, and so it really does bother me. That being said, though, um, I had I did think about it critically because to me, he is. Like his the idea is is that like um I, I actually got into this you know your friend Alec uh, your friend Morgan I actually talked to him a lot about this the other day when you invited us for tacos um, about how capitalism's problem is that like nobody even knows what capitalism really is <laughs> like they don't like if, when you ask people what they think it is they're just like greed and corporations and the accumulation of profit or whatever that's what most people think it's about. And, uh, but they don't even know how to participate in a system. Like, like my idea here is that, like, with the Dalai Lama, his message that you should actually get involved in other people's lives and actually get involved in your community and all that. But, like, you know, if people were actually involved in the capitalist system, like, they actually had voting shares in companies, they could influence those companies. But most people who complain about capitalism won't even put 10 bucks towards a voting share. They have no say in these companies that they constantly go on about how much they hate, even though they have the very mechanism to change them because they don't even know what capitalism is about. And it goes right back to the system is just fine, but it's the individuals in the system that keep screwing things over. It's the people who are greedy that make the non-capitalist movement so angry. It's the people who are angry that realize... That they're angry and not going to go participate in this. It's not the system. It's the individuals that need to pay attention to what's going on. And that's absolutely. I, I mean, I absolutely feel like that's like the message is that it comes back to these individuals. One of the things I really liked about the book. Um, I know we're in like the criticism section, <laughs> but but you know one of the things I really liked about the book is he actually talks about how like procrastination is like tantamount to evil right <laughs> right he talks he actually brings up in the book how if you are just apathetic about a thing that it just kind of takes over oh, it, it yeah. makes it so you just don't do anything about it you feel like you can't do anything about it or you shouldn't so like I'm going on about how people don't even really know what capitalism is about they don't even know that they could control these companies that they had voting shares and so on and so on Right, they're just apathetic about it. Mm -hmm. They just they just let their hate build up inside them, and um, about any issue because they actually just don't care to participate or, you know, go about doing their things. He has this little anecdote in it about this uh, about a teacher at, at one of these Buddhist shrines and how he offers his guys if they do their prayers and whatnot that he'll take them for a picnic. Oh yeah, <laughs> right, and then. Um, they do this stuff, and he the the teacher says, "Hey, um, I'm actually really busy, so we'll do the picnic next week." And they come back a week later, and they're like, "Hey, teacher, it's picnic time." And uh, and of course, guy's busy. And then, hey, you know, a month later, it's picnic time, and a year later, it's picnic time, and guy's busy. He's always got something else on his plate. 
And uh, eventually, the story, the Dalai Lama, as he tells the story, says, you know, eventually they, there's a commotion and um, all the students come out and they see that the teacher's being carried out. He has died. And uh, somebody's like, well, what happened to him? And one of the Sly students says, oh, he's going out for a picnic now. Because now he's got nothing else on his plate. He's yeah. dead, right? <laughs> and um, this idea, uh, you know, to me, it was a really powerful message. And I kind of wish the Dalai Lama had to, like, slam dunked it even more. Because he does beat to death a few other issues, like greed. But this idea that you can just get so wrapped up in your own little world and always have an excuse, th this transcends to all kinds of things, right? Not just, you know, like, let's say you want to lose some weight and you'll be like, ah, oh, but, you know, I'll start next week. And then you just don't do it. Or, you know, maybe you actually do want to improve your situation, go back to school or whatever and be like, ah, you know, I'll do it after this and I'll do it after that. And maybe you do see that there's some people out there who are suffering and you want to help and you say you know when i'm in a better financial situation i'll help those people and to me that was such a powerful message mm -hmm. he's like look you know someday you too will go out for a picnic and then you'll have never <laughs> really done it yeah yeah harry chapin's cats in a cradle um is a really good song that illustrates that that a lot of people know it's oh, yeah. he's always too busy to play with his kid he's too busy to play with his kid and eventually his kids grow up and now his kid's too busy to come visit him and his kid's too busy to do anything. And he's like, yeah, you grew up exactly like me. Right. And I, I feel like that message, this like the, the, the too busy message though, but he actually calls it apathy. He calls it apathy and yeah. how it's so destructive. And I actually wish he had just like, just hit that so much more. It's, it, it's actually kind of a point of criticism for me because I loved it, the message so much. And I kind of wish he had just elaborated more on how destructive it is. So I want to say for me, um, well, I know we went on about meditation for a while. One of my other criticisms about the book, probably the bigger criticism, was that it was kind of surprisingly dry for me. Like, I, while I really appreciated the message and thought it was, like, super diplomatic, I agreed with almost all of his points. Um, yet the whole thing was just kind of delivered in a manner that wasn't very inspiring, I guess. And I thought it was, like, at a, to come to that conclusion, though, kind of made me turn on myself and be like, why has it got to be inspiring, buddy? Like, the, he's got a really good message. His points are all really well delivered. I actually wonder what language he originally wrote it in. If he wrote yeah. it in another language, maybe it just didn't translate well. Like, because I know it's implied that he speaks and understands English fairly well, mm -hmm. but not you know, fluently, and yet, uh, so I don't know, I didn't, yeah, because I haven't, didn't do any research on that myself, but I was curious, like, was this originally written in English, or, or what language was it originally transcribed in, and then translated to, you know? Yeah, I mean, I do hear you, because there were times, um, it's sort of funny, I, I talk about how I wish he had beaten this other horse to death. One of the things that bothered me when I listened to the book is just like, he is just going on and on about <laughs> compassion. And I'm just like, I, I got it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you feel like I should care about other people. Well, Why? 
even he himself is like, yeah, I've already beaten this to death. I'm not going to say anymore. And then he goes on a couple paragraphs. Then he does and, it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's true. And so it does come off as a little dry. Um, it, you know, in some ways it's amazing that he's able to uh, write about it into a six-hour audio book, right? Um, yeah. Um, so is I don't know, like, I can't, I can't be too critical of it. I actually felt that, for the most part, the message was fairly concise compared to the other books we've read in this. <laughs> you know, I was just com- looked at Elantris just for kicks, and I was like, oh, 27 hours for fiction. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so the Dalai Lama being able to do it in six, you know, I'm actually kind of thankful. Um, so, yeah, that's... I, I don't know, like, I... I feel like he could have tried to go for like a more like hyper inspiring message, but then it might have actually like just diluted the simplicity that he was going for. Yeah, because it does seem to me that he actually is trying to get down to an individual level. Definitely. And so there, there's this idea that you need to be able to take this first step towards frankly giving a shit about other people and actually feeling like you can do something about it it's like a two-parter you need to care about their problems and think that you can actually help well and i wonder too if part of that criticism isn't rooted from the fact that he didn't really bring too many points to the table that i didn't either already know or agree with and so, for me, it was all just sort of like hearing somebody else perform an argument that I could have also made, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, you know, actually, speaking of which, there was actually times that I felt that he should elaborate. So, like, I'm the econ, right? And he actually brings up, like, three or four times microfinance. Oh, yeah. On, like, how he thinks that could fix things. And essentially, in short, he... You know, he's a Dalai Lama, so he probably believes in some sort of miracle gift economy. And gift economies are actually pretty cool. And I could go on and on about that. In short, you know, think about things like um, Kickstarter. Kickstarter is kind of the gift economy, right? You say, oh, yeah. I'm going to do this thing. People give you a big gift of money. You don't actually have to do the thing, <laughs> right? That's a gift. And uh, gift economies actually can be very powerful, right? They can start businesses and get people's lives going. And so in many ways, his concept of microtransactions is actually kind of cool. I think he was actually talking about more like, uh, you might have heard of it, Kiva. Either of you hear about Kiva? Uh -uh. Okay. So Kiva in econ circles actually gets kind of a bad rap. But on the surface, it's actually pretty cool. The idea is that somebody way out in, you know, Timbuktu... If they just had 50 bucks, they could start their... They could buy a new, um, I don't know, microwave or whatever. And they could create the burrito stand. Okay. I'm kind of giving a bad example. Well, like, let's say a shovel costs 10 bucks. And if they had a shovel, they could get a lot of work done. This is actually a better example. So they might get a loan from, like, a microtransaction bank and uh, to get the shovel. Uh-huh. And so then they, they just pay it back in their... You know, almost worthless currency. Let's just be frank here, right? You know, they're paying, they're very slowly paying back this 10 bucks. And 10 bucks is probably actually a decent loan for them. Yeah. But the micro, the way it works is like these loans is like, okay, let's say I put in to the Kiva five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, right? As a Westerner, I could just put in a small thing. And a bunch of these guys who run these microtransaction organizations, they'll actually lump it all together 
into I almost want to say think like a mutual fund, but I'm trying to give an example that doesn't use more terms. <laughs> but they'll just lump up a bunch of people's money and loan it in aggregate. Then later, when the guy actually pays back your loan, um, these systems roll over your loan to loan out to another person. Oh, okay. And so it can be very helpful. Um, just if you want to... I'm not going to go into the dark side of it too much because we're trying to talk about this book. But the dark side is that a lot of these... Uh, microfinance organizations have like a lot of fees they're still banks so you know banks tend to screw people right so they're profit margining at every step of the way yeah and um and in short they make their money um by taking advantage of other people's generosity and debt yeah and other (laughs) people's debt so there's all kinds of like really bizarre things about it but in short the Dalai Lama again and again brings up this microtransaction thing and microfinance and then he actually never explains like even though this book is apparently targeted at the layman yeah I was actually really surprised about that so he could have gone a little bit longer but um I think that kind of wraps it up for me how about you guys I feel like What's your overall feeling on the book, actually, buddy? So, yeah, my overall opinion is uh, um, I thought it was a really powerful message, and um, I'm, I would struggle with trying to figure out whom I might recommend the book to, but I definitely think it's sort of like an introductory to these sort of concepts um, of having a sort of ethics and that is outside of religion and um, without being exclusive of religions is uh, is really powerful. Yeah, I'll have to agree with that. I definitely think coming from the Dalai Lama being such a high-profile book, it's good for a lot of people. Oh, it's the Dalai Lama. I'll get interested. And even though I know a lot of it, it's just a good introduction. It's a good introduction for people, for meditation, for paying attention to things, for viewing the world in a different way. Yeah. I actually really like the book. It's um, so my overall opinion is that it's pretty good. Even though he, you know, did his NPR mic drop, <laughs> jerk. Um, I actually still really felt the book was good. And what was nice about it being is a relatively short package. Um, it's a kind of a book like you could reference back to. In fact, if you like just the meditation sections and you just want to read his advice, it's actually just writing it back to the book. Um, you know, because it's his last segment, and he actually has it broken down into nice little paragraphs. All right, so if you just want a refresher, the book could actually be part reference manual. So overall, I would recommend the book. Yeah. All right. So I think it's a totally overall positive review. Um, and now we move on to picking the next one. Yeah. And I think you two have had your turn now, so it's my turn. You don't get your dice rolling. (laughs) No fancy dice rolling? No. So Garner's going over to check our list. Um, At the beginning of this club season, I guess you could say, we all wrote down books that we would like to bring to the table. And so now that it's my turn, they get to pick one of the books I wrote down, which I don't remember. You have two books. (laughs) You wrote down The Martian. Oh, okay. Which is a fiction book about... A dude who uh, gets trapped on Mars, and he needs to get himself off Mars. And the other book was Unstoppable by Bill Nye, the science guy. Yeah. And I don't know what that book's about. What's about? 
Um, it's been a while since I read this summary, but I believe that book is about, um, it's sort of like an open letter to, um, younger generations trying to encourage them, uh, that they have more strength and power than they might realize, and how to use that power to, as a good influence on the future of the world. Um, being Bill Nye, I assume it's probably got some stuff in there about the climate change and all that. Um, that's my basic understanding of it. Okay. Has anyone told Bill Nye that we're all busy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, no. <laughs> A little apathetic. Yeah, I'm feeling the apathy. Uh-huh. No, uh... Actually, so of your two options... I um, haven't read that one. I have read The Martian. Um, I guess if I was to give you guys a third option, I would throw out as the uh, the first Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as well. Mm. Uh, which is another fiction book about a man um, sort of uh, traveling the universe against his will. But, um, I, I don't know, I have a strong love for Douglas Adams' writing style, both his sarcasm and um, his uh, subtle jabs at stuff, but I think there's like really kind of under the skin, there's some really powerful messages in there. Alright, so um, I pretty much like nonfiction. I like Bill Nye, even though he's pushy, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, so I actually am voting for Unstoppable. Yeah, I have to say I'm going with Unstoppable too. I Hooray! think continuing the nonfiction vein would be nice. And yeah. I've already read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I totally so. didn't weigh the ballot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's extremely weighted. He's like, let's let me give you a few choices that you won't take. Well, oh. from Garner's point of view, you've already read The Martian and Hitchhiker's Guide, so those yeah, are it's off yeah, the table. Period. I know. I know. He I completely weighed it. I'm evil. Yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> so, uh, have you looked at the book length on Unstoppable? Um, I want to say it's actually comparable. I'll check it right now. Okay, he's checking If it. my app isn't super slow to load. All right, for you listeners, let's talk about the Dalai Lama. Do you think he likes wearing those robes all the time? You ever think he's like, man, pants would feel great? Does he have, like, different weight of robes for the different weather conditions? I don't know, but robes are a sign of simplicity. It's just being not caring about what you wear. It's just being easy. Symbolism in that. Yeah, it's it's a sign of simplicity. It's you put the same thing on every day. You, I doubt he has weights because of that. It's supposed to be something simple. It's supposed to be something that you don't think about. You don't put the mental energy for. Hey, just put your robe on the same robe you wore yesterday and the day before that. Well, he's got some pretty fancy looking robes. I'm, I mean, it's not it's not like he's the Pope. He's, he's he doesn't got like the sweet hat. <laughs> but uh, I'll tell you what. I just wonder if he ever gets a moment in some trousers, or if he or if he ever envies the trousers. Like when he went to the mall, did he look into the shop and be like, "Man, I just love some Levi's right now." And then he had to go do like a meditation for it. I don't okay. Know. Oh, here we go. I've got, got that now. So it is about 11 and a half hours long. Not bad. And it looks like I called it. it. The summary here is just as World War II called an early generation to greatness, so does the climate change call today's rising youth to action. 
And then it goes on. Okay, so this is going to be um, dude tries to change our opinion about climate change. Or inspire us to, to not be so apathetic. Okay. Look, haven't I already established that changing my mind is bad? No. Oh. I'm going to change your mind. I'm going to change it and I'm going to like it. The most aggressively nonviolent way I can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for watching, uh, or listening, rather. You didn't watch nothing. Thank you for listening. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Book Bash, and will join us on this book next month. Later. Bye. Toodles. Stop. Thanks again for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed. Sound effects provided by the F Sound Band, and music provided by Ben Sound. Why not tell us what you thought of our review in the comments? And join us next time on... Book Bash!